hi everyone welcome back and welcome to the new listeners this is valley nordic a podcast about business culture and technology from two perspectives one in silicon valley where i am in palo alto and another from norway or the nordic countries where arne is where are you arne today uh, i'm in oslo norway today as most of the time that said i'm going to stockholm tomorrow so i'm covering more of the nordics <clears throat> is that considered local travel you know you travel within the nordics uh normally but it, it, during covid the borders have been very big and hopefully that will return to normal very soon yeah yeah i hope so um <clears throat> so today's topic is uh, quick commerce or q commerce which is you know more um happening in europe and we so the format we are planning to follow is we'll you know cover what that is and some history where it comes from and then what is specifically happening in europe uh, with quick commerce who are the players valuation funding etc and then in the end we'll see how the story might end uh, and if you've been listening to us you know arne likes boxes so this is a good box to stay in and you will see arne will talk more in this podcast because we are in a box how does that sound all right great we'll have echo in the box <laughs> yeah i mean normally i think one of the things i like about doing this and i hear from others normally there isn't much echo you and i think differently so we'll see how it turns out today how much echo is there absolutely <laughs> so quick commerce so Well, I can quickly define it at Arne, you can add to that. It's basically uh, fast delivery. And some marketing person like me came up with, oh, let's come up with a new category because, you know, to succeed and look better than others, you got to create a new category. Uh, but it's basically fast delivery. And I think the origins might go back to China. which is the biggest e-commerce market in the world it's kind of almost double the size of the US e-commerce there is i think 1.45 trillion and US is around 800 billion so it's almost double and jd.com alibaba there are few key players there who kind of uh, i'm sure i'm pronouncing the name wrong manushan or Man- something and there is miss miss hero uh, i forget the names but basically a lot of stuff started there then in the us this fast delivery fast meaning like 20 minutes 10 to 20 minutes that fast i think amazon in the us trained us to you know two day delivery then next day delivery and then for a lot of the groceries instacart etc now two hour delivery is kind of common um but quick commerce is you know next step down um that's within 10 20 minutes mainly i think they're starting with the uh, uh replacing going to a convenience store 
which are more common in Europe. And that's where I think Arne will share details, but that's the basic idea. Instead of going to the convenience store, buy a few items, you use an app and they deliver it to you. And generally they have their own warehouse in the, uh, the city they operate in. Anything I missed Arne? What would you like to add and what that is? And, or maybe mention the history of Cosmo, which I forgot. Yeah, so um, uh, I, I think your, you know, definition-wise is is absolutely correct. Uh, I mean, there has been this maybe not ten to twenty-minute delivery wave going on in the last five years or something. Typically, around you know uh, food delivery, i.e., from restaurants yeah. and the quick commerce uh, mania, if we should use that word in in Europe is, is not about, uh, primarily about um, delivering food from restaurants, but, but rather the goods from convenience stores. So, so groceries and, and fast moving consumer goods. Uh, so, so I think that's like an interesting distinction in, in, the, in the wave of things that we're going to talk about now. Otherwise, entirely correct. And the logistics is typically that people come by, you know, bike or scooter or, or something like that some light vehicle short distance yeah so is it like for a u.s person is a good way to think about it is like much faster instacart uh you can think about that but but uh uh, uh think of it more as insta basket um <laughs> less number of items exactly <laughs> Yeah, because fun. the cart is typically a full supermarket experience, whereas the basket uh, or a handful is kind of the convenience store experience. Yeah, okay. And the other difference is the Instacart, you know, partners with retailers to deliver stuff, like they partner with, let's say, Costco. Uh, but in this, the quick commerce companies have their own warehouses. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, particularly in the European wave of this, which we're going to talk about, it's typically a fully integrated operation where, uh, you know, the company that operates this has uh, a number of small uh, dark stores. You, you can call them warehouses, but they're much smaller than, you know, the warehouses you think about when you say warehouses. So they're more like uh, corner shop-sized buildings, but instead of being a user experience where you go in and shop, it's more a logistic center for uh, a few hundred to a couple of thousand SKUs and operated by the, the operator and, and sort of branded in the delivery. Uh, and of course, there might be a mix of, of contractors and employees, but it's generally you know, fully uh, operated by, by that company, or at least by the pure play players. Of course, what's also happened is that uh, you know, some of the players who are involved in, in delivery of, uh, you know, restaurant meals, like similar to in the US, uh, you know, DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber Eats, something like that. These in Europe have different names like Delivery Hero or Deliveroo or one of the brands operated by these in each of the markets uh, have also 
dove in, right? Because they already have some sort of uh, last mile logistics and can add warehouses to their operations where they normally deliver uh, food from, you know, independent restaurants, although that's also changing. Um, they now can also add warehouses into that. So there's that's um, a, a hybrid player also playing in the same market. Yeah. And what, what was the company that went public in the UK? Was it Delivery Hero or Deliveroo with Amazon? The, 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 the UK listing was Deliveroo. Deliveroo. And what was their model or what is their model? Um, Deliveroo is, is primarily a, uh, let's call it a UK or European version of, of, of DoorDash. Okay, so they're not currently they're not playing in quick commerce space. Yeah, oh yes, these guys are also diving in. Okay, they are. Yes. <laughs> so in a way, like anybody who was delivering food or groceries before is now getting into delivering uh, uh, convenience store items or smaller items much faster. Yes, and then the, the, the main wave that we're seeing in Europe is also that there are a number of pure play uh, players from country to country popping up, uh, you know, focusing on that, the convenience good side of things. Yeah, so let's dive into that. What's happening in Europe? It, it seems like, you know, US was the place or maybe China where a mania or a bubble or overvaluation of stuff would start or excitement, depends how you look at things, but it seems like Europe is finally ahead in something. <laughs> well, at, at, at least now, but, we, but if we, if we <laughs> step back, I think the, the ideas you say come from somewhere else. I mean, the, the US had something called Cosmo back in the day, which is from a time when I didn't live in the US, but apparently there was like a dot-com area version of this in the US. I that, that Cosmo, yeah. Yeah, that, that failed. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, there's 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 actually a, a sort of predecessor in the US as well called uh, GoPuff, uh, which is a company from, from Philadelphia, apparently established in 2013. They started out doing hookah delivery, uh, hence the puff, which is a very peculiar thing, uh, but but then moved into delivering convenience goods. It's, it's also, despite my recent years in the US, it's not a a company or service I've used in, in California. And I don't know whether you have an updated status on that. No, uh, I haven't heard of GoPuff. It may be, you know, Silicon Valley is kind of like a bubble. You don't really hear much about what's happening outside. Uh, no, exactly. But but apparently they're a big player. And even if I've never used their service, they're, uh, they've raised $3.4 billion at a $15 billion valuation. And, and they've already 3.4 billion. Yes. Wow. And and they've made their first acquisition in Europe uh, to go into the UK market. But uh, but so that's like a little bit lead up to to where we're going. But but as you say, typically what what has happened in the venture market is that. Uh, the U.S. have sort of led the way in, in things developing fast mm -hmm. and going aggressive and funding it aggressively and sort of uh, going after a market very quickly. 
And and typically compared to that picture, the the Europeans have generally been, you know, slower and copycat-ish and more timid in terms of funding. But but when it comes to this uh, quick commerce side of things, it's just gone nuts in Europe this year. <laughs> um, and essentially, there are like ten companies uh, that's raised about uh, two billion dollars this year in this specific segment, uh, and are essentially uh, just looking to overpower each other to become the market leader. All the big European venture firms are in. Uh, some of the more sort of uh, growth-oriented global funds like uh, Mubadala and Process and these sorts of things have, have dove in. And the valuations are crazy and it happens very fast. So, so this sort of started taking off, say, nine months ago or something like that. Um, and, um, and like one of the first companies that, you know, there was a fastest growing unicorn in 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 Europe in nine months, uh, and the first company has uh, has already been acquired, which was uh, a um, a London-based uh, company it raised twenty million dollars, a DJ, and was acquired by GoPuff, and and this just happened in, in like a blink of an eye, essentially, from the first funding round till the first acquisition by, by one of the players. Wow. So that, 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 com- that company was founded in, in uh, November 2020. Uh, they, they raised um, a, a seed round uh, pretty, pretty quickly. And, and has already been acquired. Mm-hmm. What's the company that became billion dollar company or a unicorn in nine months? Um, yeah, it was... Um, um, I mean, uh, if you don't remember, I'm curious, like that's really fast, nine months, like you don't, there's no product market fit. I mean, you barely have a prototype. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, uh, Gorillas, which is uh, a um, a company out of uh, Berlin, mm-hmm. um, is is that is that company, oh. and and they raised a a, a two hundred ninety million dollar round, um, you know, nine months after launch. Is SoftBank involved somehow in all this? Um. SoftBank has has not uh, been been involved to my uh, notice, but but other uh, like like Mubadala is involved. So that's like a, a little bit of a parallel. Uh, DST Global, which is a known very aggressive investor, is involved. Uh, uh, Process, as as I mentioned, they're. Um, you know, South African, Dutch, they're behind the, the Napster's marketplace, this very oh, aggressive wow. investor. Yeah. Uh, Tencent is, is involved. Uh, and no, actually, um, yeah. And, and uh, uh, Sequoia and, and Tiger Global is involved. There is a, uh, the most valuable uh, company in this segment is actually a company out of Turkey, out of Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Called Getir, valued at 
seven and a half billion dollars um, and expanding rapidly out of Turkey into London and other places. Okay. Wow. I mean, how does that, you know, you've lived in Silicon Valley and you've been, you know, uh, you're living in Nordics now. I mean, you saw how I think U.S. was always moving fast and now something's happening really fast in Europe. But uh, you, I think you are saying it's overvalued and, you know, there's too much excitement. But how do you feel about that? Okay, at least, like, things are moving fast in Europe. That's new. Well, it's... it's, it's um... It's, in a way, it's really fun, right? And, and, and I think, you know, if you look at, at um, you know, the TAM here, obviously, you know, groceries in Europe is a big market. It's a trillion dollar TAM, right? So TAM the, is a total addressable market for people who don't know what TAM means. That basically how, if every all the, the value of all the item, grocery items sold in Europe is trillion dollars per year. Uh, yeah, and more than that, it's, it's a few trillion dollars. But, uh, you know, the, the real question is what's the Sam and the song here, right? Um, because in Europe today, online groceries is um, a relatively small, <laughs> Small share of the um, of the grocery market. It, it varies quite a lot from from country to country, but the UK is is the most advanced by about ten uh, percent. And and groceries is also very low margin business, and it's a it's a large expense for the average household. So the 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 average household uh, sees that as uh, you know price is important, right? And people tend to buy somewhat in bulk. I mean, it's not quite as fair in Europe than as as in as in the US because there are also like more specialized stores, various foods like bakers and butchers and fishmongers and this sort of thing. But but generally, it's it's a price sensitive market where people buy. You know the way that people attract market share is by price and volume essentially in this market and and the question is how much of the total market is really convenient shopping and and where are you either going to you know get volume are people willing to pay, pay premium for convenience uh, and get volume through it uh, at the premium price or or can you get uh, unit economics in this way so that you can actually compete on price for um, for convenience, and and both of them seems or, or either explanation seems very unlikely in in, in my view. Yeah. yeah, it's like you think. So let's extrapolate on that. So you know, groceries low margin business or these. You know, companies are adding value by uh, basically convenience. You don't have to leave the house. That's the main idea. And people might be willing to pay more for that convenience, but currently they don't have to because these guys are competing against each other. 
So price is one of the things they use to compete. Well, essentially, you know, people are trying to build a market here, right? And, and how do you build a market? Well, you have to incentivize people to start using this and, and you know, experience that this is convenient and fast and so forth, right? So, so you know, there's a lot of sort of coupons circulating mm-hmm. to to get people to try, it, right? Uh, and and then you know you have what's perceived as an overestablishment, um, at least in the biggest. So typically, uh, UK, France, and Germany, which are the biggest markets, are also the most com- uh, uh, congested from this perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, they have to compete, right? So they have to outbid each other in in marketing terms, just to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, win win market share when when the, uh, the, the existing market is is close to zero right mm-hmm. well wow. and, and and even in, in in like smaller markets like the Nordics right so in Sweden there's a, a specific startup on this called Caval they've raised about 50 million sets so that's more like six million US or something like that mm-hmm. uh, and they're competing then at, against um, the various delivery hero brands, or so we, uh, you know, um, in in Oslo, for example, we don't have a pure play player here, but we do have um, uh, Fedora, which is a delivery hero uh, brand. Uh, there's a another delivery service for restaurant food called Volt. Both of them are diving in here, and then there's in addition to that Bolt which is a company that does uh, an Uber-like service and, and uh, the electric scooters uh, sort of as a ride-sharing and, and convenience logistics perspective. Uh, they are also adding this onto it, just like Uber Eats put you know, food into the Uber logistics, right? So even without the pure players, there are already three players who are trying to outbid each other for market share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, from a you know user or consumer point of view, it's you know convenience is the main driver. I don't have to go to the store and I can just order stuff and it gets delivered. It's the same thing, and you know COVID is probably helping with all this, but it it's similar to like a mini smaller and faster version of let's say DoorDash or Instacart or uh, services like that where you know you, you don't have to go anywhere you open the app you order stuff and it comes to you in this case the like I like that analogy it's not a card it's a basket so basically the the money you spend is faster but most likely you're spending it more often um, because you go to convenience store more often. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, but, but, but you have to have a certain volume. Either you have to have a premium on, on the price and the delivery, um, or you have to have a much bigger basket to, to make it profitable. Yeah. So if when, let's say, let's play it out. If they scale, let's say one of them, company A, becomes like a Europe-wide thing. Well, what, what happens then? You have 
they can buy uh, things at wholesale at, high, at higher margin. So their margins are bigger. That's how they become profitable because you know the like the driver, the operation costs, the delivery costs don't go change with scale. You have to hire somebody to deliver and how many trips they're making, et cetera. That doesn't change the scale. What changes the scale is your wholesale cost and maybe, I mean, if you can do route optimization, et cetera, at scale, but I'm not sure how uh, much that affects the unit cost economics. Like say more on like what, what changes with scale? How will they become profitable? Well, um, actually sourcing of, of groceries. Uh, now it does um, vary a little bit from country to country, but in the main, in the main markets in Europe, the difference in cost of goods is very little for any sizable uh, buyer, right? So. Uh, I, I think it's it's quite easy to get to a uh, sourcing cost that doesn't give you a big disadvantage in these large, significant dis dis disadvantage. So you know, integrating Europe doesn't give you much of a benefit. There's a there's a minimum point where you have a, a sourcing benefit, but beyond there, there's no sourcing benefit or very very marginal source sourcing benefit. And, and now I'm discounting some smaller markets in Europe. Uh, I, I think where you can get, uh, you know, better with scale is that you can have higher density of your uh, dark stores and therefore shorter uh, distances for, for um, you know, the, the, the last mile logistics or the last meter logistics, depending on how you look at it. Um, but I still think that, you know, the basket size has to be pretty big with the low margins um, to pay for that logistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm trying to get at. What changes with scale? Because the main cost is the human delivery cost that doesn't really change. It can change if the basket size becomes much bigger but you know it's convenience store stuff maybe they'll start selling you know other stuff i don't know um, something to study further <laughs> yeah, the, the, the question is can you put uh you know higher margin uh products into this particular logistic mm -hmm. so so it seems to me that the, the two uh, items where people are willing to pay a lot for convenience would be, you know, beer or boost or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, right? Oh, you know, we have a party and we're after vodka, right? Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, painkillers or other sort of over-the-counter medication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, so, so I think those products are... Um, probably overrepresented in the skew selection of uh, so the sort of in instant gratification goods, and 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 they might be uh, you know much less price sensitive 
and is something that could carry something like this. But but that's a very different business than taking a significant part of uh, uh, you, you know the grocery market or whatever. And and I think you know the size of investment here is um, <laughs> is significant. So you have to build pretty big businesses for this to uh, uh, to be interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so from a VC point of view, if let's say it's some one of your fellow VCs invested, they must have a hypothesis to justify the valuation. And the only thing I can think of is the horse they are betting on, they will become the dominant player and capture huge market size and be more like a not a monopoly, but close to that. And then they will figure out a way to sell more stuff or deliver more stuff and somehow make money. Like what, what could be other hypotheses of these valuations? Well, well there are clearly, uh, you know, bigger and more powerful VCs that put a lot of money into this. So they're seeing something that I don't see. The, the, the problem that I have with it is that, um, you know, I could understand the first, you know, part. Like, all right, we'll put in $300 million uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll take Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we'll be the dominant. And essentially, you know, because of our capital, nobody can compete with us, right? But then number two raises the money, number three raises the money, and, and whoever puts money into number six has to understand that what this money is going to be spent for is marketing yeah. to kill each other, right? And that's where I don't, you know, I, I just don't get it anymore, right? But didn't we see that story with Uber? It was the same playbook with Uber. Like they were a lot of, they were trying to become the global player and the local players were competing, getting money, and all the money was going to marketing. Uber, you know, got out of China. Yeah, so, so that dynamic played out in, in, in the US to some extent, right? Where, where uh, you know, Uber and Lyft, you know, created a duopoly uh-huh. and still burnt a lot of money doing that, right? Yeah. And, and Uber, you know, tried to go into China and multiple, uh, where, where they're also big. But essentially that sort of settled down where there's, uh, uh, you know, DD won China and Uber won the US and uh, uh, what I call Ola won um, yeah. India. And, and I can't remember what the, the Southeast Asian thing oh. is called. Yeah. But 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 that was like a, you know that was a power play that where a lot of money was burnt but it was you know power play for global domination where the fallback position was to win a continent or a or, or a very big market right mm-hmm. but 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 this is like a a power play with ten players for the continent of Europe <laughs> which to me doesn't make all that much sense right. Yeah, and I think there is this, there used to be a thing called China syndrome in the investment world where people looked at China, oh, a billion people, only if we get 2% of that, it's huge opportunity. 
and if VCs are looking at all of groceries as TAM, which is multiple trillion, oh, if we get 2% of that, then it's, we are good. So <laughs> it may be that. It didn't turn out well for people who were early in China. Yeah, so, so I think the best case scenario for this is kind of like, all right, Arne is wrong. The convenience market is bigger and has higher margins than Arne thinks, right? That's the one thing that can happen. And number two can happen is that these people are smart enough that is a consolidation way, right? So instead of 10 trying to kill each other, it's kind of like two or, or, or something like that. Um, two, two, preferably one, that, that sort of consolidates it, right? Yeah. But, mm -hmm. but I think both of those have to happen for this kind of to play out in a positive sense for, for investors. And, and of course, I think when, when uh, you know, the first M&A is done, you know, kind of like six, nine months after the whole thing kicked off, that means that, that uh, the consolidation way probably comes pretty quickly. And those who are not in the most favored positions will probably not get great terms in that consolidation wave. Yeah, it, or that might be another hypothesis some investors have. Get market share fast and then somebody will buy you. Um, because the, they might see consolidation happening. And if you have the users, then yeah, you're a worthy target. Yeah. But but I think I think the whole thing here has played out so quickly that uh, there are relatively few who has gone to the position where the you know their their business and user base is is fundamentally attractive relative to the money invested at this time. Mm -hmm. It it's kind of amazing, you know. Like for last year and a half, I'm basically at home. And all this is happening, like this new market bubble or excitement was it just created it during a pandemic. <laughs> uh, and in Europe. Yeah. And and clearly there there has been, you know, money made in in you know, businesses delivering goods to the home. Uh, clearly. You know, Amazon is a good example, but it wasn't created overnight. Yeah, yeah. It's so I, I want to spend a minute on why it's not happening in the US. I, while we were talking, I was thinking it may be just the geography. You know, Europe is very dense. You know, you can walk around the city like Paris, the whole thing is, you know, seven miles in diameter. You can walk across Paris in like two hours. Um, and so it's the, it's the density of big cities um, in Europe or uh, you think that's the reason or why, why is it not happening in the US? Well, I, I think that's a significant part of the, of the equation. Um, I, I, I think, you know, if you look at um, you know, the number of people who live in a square mile or something, and the, the fundamental number is higher in, in Europe. But not only that, uh, you know, if you look at the big cities, 
you know, size of the cities are the same, but the U.S. cities tend to be, you know, spread out suburbs with, you know, maybe San Francisco and New York and a few other exceptions, whereas as the city centers of Europe are very, very dense, typically. And, and, and so it lends itself better to that, um, you know, to think that, that you can have an efficient, um, you know, logistics system if you have uh, rapid and small uh, transportation uh, modes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, and you know, you would know this um, more than I do. In Europe, are there existing behaviors users have for delivery? Like in the U.S., most people, you know, for a taxi use uh, Uber or Lyft. For uh, groceries, Instacart, um, or Whole Foods, which is Amazon now. Um, and for uh, food, uh, it's DoorDash or Uber Eats. Uh, they're smaller players where most people have some kind of existing behavior, what apps they go for delivery. But we haven't, like DoorDash is getting into this, you know, 7-Eleven delivery, uh, which is kind of convenience store or basket style. But there isn't like, um, you know, People are used to getting delivery already. Europe is the same way. People are used to going to certain apps for what they want delivered. I, I would say that um, uh, there has been regional differences, but it's been, it's been driven by COVID now, mm -hmm. particularly restaurant delivery. Um, I think uh, Europe, traditionally is much less of a convenience market than, than, than the US. Mm. And, and Europeans generally view the Americans' um, convenience habits as being very lazy, right? You have to drive the car anywhere instead of walking and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think the, the fertility of the ground for convenience is probably fundamentally worse in in Europe, and also the willingness to pay for services, at least in some geographies, and particularly in the Nordics, is lower. That said, the urban population and the young population uh, really like using these food delivery services like uh, uh, Foodora or Volt or whatever is, is the local brand and flavor in, in the market. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You're right. I, every time, the time I've spent in Europe, they do make fun of the American convenience. I think they used to make fun of drive-throughs before, but <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> they still do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Although you do see drive-throughs here as well now, but but we don't have um, drive-through. Mm, liquor stores or funeral homes there. Yeah, I don't know how many of them are here um, either. But they do exist. They do exist. Yeah, there is. I know about the drive-through wedding in Vegas, but not uh, the other stuff. 
I, I forgot one of the other issues I have with this, you know, the business model of this is, is essentially that I, I think it's very hard to get a system where with high utilization. I think I think the convenience needs are very na- narrow time windows, mm-hmm. uh, which also makes unit economics very hard. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure if DoorDash or these food companies have figured out or have become profitable. Um, uh, and and combine that with, you know, somewhat varying from market to market, but, but labor regulations where European labor markets are much less flexible mm-hmm. and gig work is therefore harder to organize than in the US. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. Um, so we'll see <laughs> how this plays out. Like you have view on, okay, what does this quick commerce market look like in, let's say five years, three to five years, what do you see? Uh, I, I think uh, the number of players is down to much fewer. And I think uh, it's more integrated into uh, more full service offerings, whether that's uh, you know, convenience offering from a normal e-commerce player as part of their delivery system or, or, or full integration between restaurants and convenience stores. Or, but it's, um, uh, I, I think this frenzy will die down. And, and I, don't, I personally don't think that this is going to be a, a, a main segment of the grocery market. Mm. You see the stores buying them, like because I think they hear a lot of the stores, although they're partner with Instagram because they want to compete now, but they're also developing their own offerings. Uh, but that's, you know, the big items, big stores, but the convenience stores, you see them responding somehow to this? Uh, so- uh, I, I don't know if the convenience stores will, but I think there's, um, uh, I, I think there's kind of like, uh, there are two, two things, right? One is sort of the backend logistics and the backend logistics are everything from small warehouses to big warehouses to restaurants, right? There are various goods from hot to cold and large baskets, uh, large carts and small baskets uh, that needs to be uh, end up at the end user, right? And you have a, a slower structured um, logistics uh, um, last mile delivery mm-hmm. that is cost effective. And then you have a rapid one uh, that's more sort of an ad hoc thing and made of, you know, scooters and cars uh, can transport people and goods. And that in, in the goods include restaurant meals and convenience foods, right? So I, I think it's more a hierarchical and um, with multiple levels, both on the, uh, on the fulfillment side and on the um, uh, last mile logistics. And I think these sort of two things need to fit together. And I think that's, that's kind of where China is, right? Yeah. Yeah, China, I think they're ahead. <laughs> we should look at them. Yeah. 
but there they made they're kind of getting uh, pushed back from the government. I think JD.com, uh, I always mix up the name, but one of them to get into this delivery, they basically started paying them only if they met some targets, otherwise they don't get paid. So people were overburned, and, but they did make it into a business because of that. Um, and then there's a huge automation in the stores, the stores that Ali uh, Baba created for groceries, like the robots in the store where you can go pick up and it gets stuff and now it can deliver also. So they're mixing the warehousing and the actual grocery store um, as well. But I see that more on the like Instacart side of things. I don't know enough about the, you know, Insta basket side of things, the smaller items, w what's happening in that space. Yeah, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, truly long-term and I'm not talking about, you know, three years or five years, but, but ultimately in 20 years, you know, modes of transportation are fully autonomous, right? And some of them are, large vehicle that follow a route. Some of them are medium and small vehicles that are ad hoc and go point to point based on need. And some of them carry people and some of them carry fresh food or hot food and some of them carry convenience goods, right? It's a system optimization with various nodes with uh, different advantages. Yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> the ice cream vendor walking around the streets you can have an autonomous car walking around with uh, convenience store items not walking around but driving around yeah yeah i mean conceptually you can see there might be a way but i think it's low probability you can say okay you, there's a european player and in europe or in the eu there's free movement of goods and people you can buy in bulk directly from China since everything's manufactured there. Anyways, get cheaper prices because you have higher volume. You can do your own manufacturing, um, et cetera, and then use these you know, robotics inside the warehouse and autonomous vehicles outside. So you can make a theoretical case that how this will all work out. But I would say the odds are low, but we'll see. <laughs> We shall see. Yeah. Okay. We should end here. So that was very interesting, Arne. Um, uh, good to see Europe moving fast. The, I wish all the companies well in that space. Hopefully it works out. And, yeah, and I, I think the excitement of it is that Europe is being aggressive, right? Uh, yeah. And fortu fortunately, we see that not only in this uh, space, but uh, but Europe overall in tech has done really well in the first half of the year. In you know, fundings are up significantly, and there's been more unicorns created in Europe than ever before, and a larger relative share of the world economy in tech. So Europe has been doing well this year, and and and. Fortunately, not all the money and all the efforts has gone into this specific segment. But, but this segment is a peculiarity for Europe this year. Yeah, yeah. But overall, it's good to see Europe 
you know, moving fast and more money going into new ideas and things moving fast. And absolutely, if, if there's enough capital, then this always happens. People <laughs> have a lot of money, they get very excited about a specific thing and they pile on each other. I mean, we see that all the time in the US. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. I think we can end here. Thanks, Arne. Uh, hope you have a safe trip to Stockholm tomorrow. And yeah. we'll the listeners in two weeks. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. Have a great time. <laughs> okay. See you. Bye.